Welcome to Sports Bites, your bite-sized podcast serving up the perfect blend of sports and food. I'm your host, Chris Joseph, and in each episode, I'll look to tackle the latest sports buzz while including the tastiest bites. In this episode, it's Reaction Monday. I'll talk about the college games over the weekend and how terrible I did on my give him a sixer, six picks. So let's dig in. You know, we kicked off the Saturday college football slate, watching my boys, watching the Sooners take on UCF. You know, I had mentioned concerns heading into the week, you know, for a couple of reasons. One, Oklahoma being off for two weeks with everyone telling you how good you are. You're now in the college football playoff talk. Dylan Gabriel's a Heisman contender now. But you've been off for two weeks hearing good press. And there's nothing wrong with hearing good press. But, you know, for a team that was 6-7 and seven last year, and now you, you beat Texas, you're heading into it, all, all, the, all the focus is on you. Would, would their focus in the game kind of not be there? You know, the week of preparation. You spend all that energy and emotion taking on and beating Texas. So, again, going into the game, it's like, all right, guys, you, you beat Texas, but now comes the next step in this evolution, this redemption tour you got to go. And number three, with Jeff Levy and Dylan Gabriel and their connections to the UCF, you know, how are they going to feel playing against their old team? I'll say this. The bye week helps Central Florida, okay? They're a much better team with John Rice Pumley at the helm. All right, now, although I still think he's hampered some from that knee he hurt a couple, you know, in week two against Boise State, I'll tell you this much. The running back, R.J. Harvey, can tote the rock, man. Like, I, I would love to have that guy on any team that I root for. I loved why his jump cuts, in and out. He was strong, strong legs, good speed. Loved watching that guy play. Even as I was watching him kind of really get up against Oklahoma, and it was an odd game, you know, to begin because the Oklahoma defense came out with their hair on fire, bottling up the Central Florida offense, the number three rushing offense in the country, you know, and miscues. And what I felt, again, was timid play calling, which I didn't understand the whole day. Timid play calling from Jeff Levy, a lack of execution in the kicking game. And the game should have easily been 21 nothing, at least in the first quarter. But it's just 7 to nothing in the first quarter. Now, the Sooner defense was on the field quick. Many times, again, because of a lack of a running game. Oklahoma could not get any type of run game going until late in the game. The Sooner defense, I thought they did a good job. You know, they gave up 397 yards on the day. 30% of that came on two big plays. And one, a beautifully timed and executed sprint draw. That sprint draw was really good. And I heard Brent Venables talk in his post-game press conference, and he said they worked on that play. They just missed and, and, you know, they got punched through. And that's why when I brought up, I was concerned about this game. Were they going to be focused? Yeah, you brought it up, but maybe they weren't seeing all the signs. I, I don't know. It's just, it, it was, it started to get fresher. And I could tell early on, this was going to be one of those games that you're going to have to grit out and win. But that sprint draw for 54 yards for RJ Harvey, and then an 86 yard pass from Plumley to Javon Baker, who is a, he's a big time receiver. That guy can go out and get it as well. And that was really a result of Woody Washington. He'd come up in support because Plumlee looked like he was getting ready to leave the pocket. And Woody Washington, kind of, he, he takes a step, and that's all it took was just that split second, and Baker was gone. You know, now if you look back, you can go back, you see the guy, the right tackle, I think is like seven yards down the field. Could have been an eligible receiver downfield. What have you talk about everything on that play, blowing the kiss. And from what I understand, and you know, for those who know, I, I did use the referee speaking to people that officiate in college, even if they would have called that, the new rule is it's on the seceding spot. So it would not have taken the touchdown away. So a lot of people think that would take the touchdown away. It wouldn't have. But 
Dylan Gabriel, not as sharp as he had been all season, still threw for three touchdowns, one interception, and that was really kind of a high pass off the hands of Drake Stoops. Now, he threw another one that I thought should have been an interception, and it was called uh, pass interference on UCF, and that was at the end of the uh, first half, I think, and just not, not a good throw. The guy made a good play. I don't think it was pass interference, but Oklahoma gets the benefit of the call. Uh, the ground game. Got going. Marcus Major ended the day with 82 yards on 18 carries. Gavin Sawchuk, after having a couple miscues early, you know, drops the snap, fumble, you know, just little miscues. Again, the focus, the razor sharp focus that you need wasn't there. 63 yards for Sawchuk, had a 30 yard touchdown, showed power, speed in the final quarter. Nick Anderson, everyone wondering how he would do filling in for Andrew Anthony, five catches and another two touchdowns. All he does is catch touchdowns. And, and with enough time, you know, UCF drove down the field, but it was in the fourth quarter when the Sooners took the lead. Dylan Gabriel found his man, Drake Stoops. Gabriel, quick throw, caught by Stoops, turns it upfield and scores! Stoops ties the game with a touchdown, 23 apiece with the point after coming. Yeah, Oklahoma would go on to take the lead 24-23, and, you know, you have the Sawchuck touchdown. They get the ball back. Central Florida does march down the field. They score. They have a chance to tie it up with a two-point conversion, but a questionable double pass play was called. Plumley, a backwards pass, looking for the double pass as Townsend instead is tackled. Back at the 10-yard line by Dolby, and Oklahoma maintains the two-point lead. Maintains the two-point lead. Survive in advance, right? Survive in advance. You get out of there with the victory. You're now 7-0. You've already won more games than you did last year. You're at seven wins. You only had six last year. Next week, they head to Kansas for another 11 a.m. kickoff. This is the big noon kickoff against the Kansas Jayhawks. Again, 7-0. Move on. Survive in advance. The number four game of the weekend I had listed as the number 14 Utah Utes taking on the number 18 USC Trojans in the Coliseum. You know, now USC coming off that terrible show against Notre Dame where the defending Heisman Trophy winner Caleb Williams probably had the worst game of his career, right? So in comes Kyle Whittingham's Utah Utes, the team that absolutely bodied the Trojans twice last year. So I don't want to hear about somebody being overlooked. They should have been on your radar from day one of the season. You got beat twice by them. You're not playing a starting quarterback. You faced off against a walk-on pig-farming Lowe's worker. Bryson Barnes, hats off to you, sir. You fought your guts out in that game. Second loss of the year, I think it effectively eliminates Caleb from repeating as the Heisman Trophy winner. I tell you a guy that I keep an eye for, Sione Vaki, two touchdowns. He had one touchdown catch where he absolutely snatched the ankles off of USC. Unbelievable. But he was a safety. But a lot of injuries led to Vaki getting up, playing offense, doing real well. Nine carries, 68 yards on the day to go with uh, Jaquin and Jackson's 117 yards. But gritty Bison Barnes threw three touchdowns. Again, two of them to Vaki, one interception. But no bigger play than this right here, late in the fourth quarter. Second down for Barnes. Pressure coming. He runs. Barnes across the 40, and he's inside the 20. Bryson Barnes, unbeaten as a starter in college football, gets 26 yards. Gutty play. Second and 15 after a false start from the USC 45. 16 seconds left in the game. Bryson Barnes... Gets out of the pocket to the right, heads up. He's not going to be denied. 
not going to be denied. They run one play to center the ball, and we all know what happens next. Becker for the win. It is good! The Utah Utes sink USC once more in another classic. Great game. Great game. I mean, Zachariah Branch, I talked about him saying, hey, watch out for this guy. He could have a big return, do something, and he almost did. He almost took one to the house that set up the Caleb Williams run to give USC the lead. I thought I thought Zachariah Branch was going to take it. You know, him and his brother Zion, really good players there. But, you know, what's interesting, now that the dreams and hopes of the Trojans are gone, I mean, you can say what you want. You, you've only got one loss in conference. I get it. You know, I get it. You get one loss in conference. But you're going to have to face off against Washington and Oregon. You've got at least one more coming. And the look on Caleb Williams' face after, and I know he's a competitor. I know he wants to win. But now all the stuff that's coming out with his demeanor, his father, I don't want to play for this team. I might come back to the to college if certain teams are in you know, position to draft me first. A lot of people brought it up. What's the likelihood of Caleb Williams shutting it down? Okay. Now, I don't know what that all means with the NIL money that he's making being the USC quarterback. You know, it sucks for him. I can understand why he left Oklahoma. I'm not, I'm not mad at Caleb for leaving. You know, a lot of times players come to the university for the coaches. It's not the interlocking ONU on the helmet. It's not the long, you know, for some, for most. Okay. And I think a guy like Caleb, he, he attached his wagon, no pun intended, to Lincoln Riley. So I get why he left. You know, and people talking about what if he'd have stayed at Oklahoma, you know, was he thinking about it? Who knows what happened? Would he and Venables have been, you know, able to mesh well? I, I don't know. He's an extremely gifted quarterback, but unfortunately on the big stage now when it matters, he hasn't had a lot of success except in that Red River rivalry game when he came in for Spencer Rattler. He's really good at extending plays. He can keep plays alive with his feet, but can he really read and break down defenses? Is he, is he more of a street ball kind of guy? And it's just my great arm talent. Guy's extremely fast, but when really good defenses come up against him, can he really read and break down a defense? I, and and we'll see. I'm not wishing ill will to the young man. I just I don't know. I don't I, I don't know if he is. I talked about there's been some you know some really bad officiating this year. And again, late in that game, Barry Alexander, the transfer from Georgia, I don't think he launched. I don't think there should have been an, a targeting of him being ejected. I think maybe that was a little trigger happy from the official because of an earlier roughing the passer, you know and. It's sad. You could tell the young man was upset. Some tears on the sideline. But Oklahoma Twitter doesn't care. The internet doesn't care. They had a field day with with USC losing. Lincoln Riley backpedaling. And the things that I don't like about Lincoln is I think he's being exposed a lot now for just like, you know, maybe with Caleb. On the big stage, you're not getting it done. But also, what about Caleb and, and Lincoln becoming a package deal? Do you want Lincoln Riley to be your coach in the NFL? With Caleb Williams, I'll come. But as long as you give Caleb owner, like there, I, I'm sure there's some some talk going on. Alex Grinch, you're there. I mean, is, is he the perfect scapegoat? But Riley kind of deflecting the questions when people ask him about, you know, 
the national championship dreams being gone. And his response was really interesting. Check it out. Yeah, we, we're we're in the middle of the season. You know, it's just that's that's a that's a dream world, right? You're you're fighting your ass off every single week. Like you don't we don't come in every single week talking about winning a national championship, going to playoffs. And I, I don't know where that narrative starts. You you come in every single week trying to fight your tail off to go play well and win a ball game. And it's a that's a bunch of crap, Lincoln Riley. Uh, you know, I could find a hundred clips of you talking about I'm coming to USC to win championships. That's what this program is about. We're the mecca of college football. Shut up. Take your L's and move on. But again, short of expectations for the USC Trojans. Utah did announce Sunday that Cam Rising will not play the rest of this season after his injury last year in the Rose Bowl. So it's up to Bryson Barnes for the remainder of the year. Up next for Utah, they host a really good Oregon team. You know, it's another top 25 matchup. The Trojans will travel to Berkeley to play in front of hundreds as they take on the Cal Bears. But they still have Washington, Oregon, and UCLA looming on this schedule. So, again, I don't think they're done losing it, too. The number three game I had on my must-see list from the weekend, number 16, Duke, heading to number four, Florida State. And the first half was a heavyweight fight. Man, I loved watching this game. It was a lot of fun. Duke's defense is great. Mike Elko has done a tremendous job building this football team, building this structure, building this core. And it's going to bring continued success, I think, to the Duke Blue Devils, as long as Mike Elko is there. Riley Leonard play. Now, he wasn't making as much of an impact, I'm sure, as he would have liked. Still hobbled from that high ankle sprain at the end of the Notre Dame game. Leonard threw for only 69 yards, 7-16 passing with one interception. Duke led, though, at half, 20-17. to You know, Chandler Rivers had a 13-yard pick six of Jordan Travis. Now, Riley gets hurt in the third, and he's not able to come back in. He was trying, but as you could just tell, just so much pain. And that's when the game, for me, watching it, it, it changed direction. You know, and to take nothing away from Florida State. Injuries are part of the game. It happens. You know, you could look at last year, the fact that Dylan Gabriel didn't play in that game. Would Oklahoma have won against Texas? Probably not. I don't think they they were that that team. Would it have been 49 to nothing? I don't believe so. So an injury is going to affect the game. But Riley gets hurt. You bring in Henry Beeline, who had played the week before. And I think the stage was just too big for him right now in the career. Not that he's a bad player. Just you could tell. He had that deer in the headlights. Look. They're doing the chop in Tallahassee. The Doke was rocking. You know, the defense at Duke is really, really good. Keon Coleman was bottled up much of the night. And the Seminoles didn't lean to the fourth quarter as Jordan Travis found his way to the end zone. He's in the backfield. Duke shuffling around. It's a keeper all the way. Travis turns the corner and scores. And the quarterback puts FSU on top for the first time to cap Kirk a 96-yard methodical march. 96 yards, that score coming in the fourth quarter with 13 minutes left. Jordan Travis accounted for three touchdowns on the night, leading the Seminoles to a 38-20 victory. That's now 22 in a row for Florida State against Duke. It gives the Knowles a 13-game winning streak and puts them all alone at the top of the ACC with North Carolina's surprising loss to a 1-5 UVA team. Next for Duke, a really tough matchup against number 21 Louisville on the road while Florida State is at Wake Forest. 
Now here in Alabama, you know, I live in Birmingham and a lot of talk, you know, I, I wear my Oklahoma stuff around a lot. A lot of people see that and they're like, roll tide. And I'm like, I got to tell them I'm not, I'm not an Alabama fan. This is a big game though. Like I said, I love history. I love tradition. And the tradition of the third Saturday in October, it's a big one. And for the long time, it, you know, it was really out of whack. Alabama went in 15 in a row until last year when Tennessee wins. But number 17, Tennessee came to Tuscaloosa to take on the number 11 Alabama Crimson Tide. And the game started off great if you're a Tennessee Vol fan. Joe Milton found the squirrel early. So they worked it to the 39 of Alabama here on their opening march. Milton loads and fires long to the end zone. Did he get it? Touchdown! The squirrel stretches out at the goal line. And if you saw the play, if you haven't seen it, go look it up. A great throw by Joe Milton. Stood tall in the pocket. Great pass. Hits squirrel white, and he drags his toe behind him. Holds a beautiful catch. And I'm like, okay, Tennessee came to play. Next thing you know, it, you know it's 20-7. to 7, And it's like, oh, snap. And the look of the Alabama fans in the crowd. Priceless. Priceless. Alabama doesn't take the lead into the fourth quarter on a Jason McClellan run. Tied leading 27 to 20 with 736 left in the game. The defense iced it for him. They need every yard they can get right now. Milton, backside pressure. Down he goes. The ball is out. It's going to be scooped. And it might be a score. It is. Campbell, touchdown, Alabama. That pretty much iced it for him right there. Chris Braswell, great pass rush. Very bendy, very fast twitch. Gets in there, knocks the ball away from Joe Milton. Jahad Campbell picks it up, scoops, scores. And that would pretty much end the hope of Tennessee making a comeback and making a back-to-back years with a win over the Tide. Now, Coach Heupel, not really happy. And, and I tell people this all the time. So when I was out in Oklahoma and had a chance to cover the Sooners, when Josh Heupel was part of the um, the coaching staff, right? And, of course, everyone knew the story. His dad was a minister, come from Aberdeen, Dakota. I mean, you know, you just wouldn't think he was the guy that had the mouth on him that he does. I'm at a practice one time, and like I said, I hear just this F-bomb-laced tirade that would have made Samuel Jackson blush. And I'm thinking it's Mike Stoops or somebody. Nope, it's Josh Heupel. But Josh was not happy with some of the uh, non-calls or calls in the game. You could tell in his press conference he was asked about it. Your defenders were having to play two-hand touch, and they were like to play Mortal Kombat out there a little bit. I mean, did you feel like that it was a bit one-sided? Ginger. Ginger. Yeah. Next question. Yeah. Is that long enough silence? Yeah. <laughs> He was not happy. Again, you can find that video out there. He's tapping on the podium, and he knows if he says anything, it could be in trouble, you know, fined, whatever. But, I mean, there's there's some plays out there. But, Josh, you also got to think about, there was a play, I can't remember who it was, one of the Tennessee guys did an absolute, like, flying elbow, like, elbow, uh, elbow smash on an Alabama player. Should have been ejected from the game. Didn't see that. I mean, and I know you're upset. But again, just the game got away from you. Game got away from you. Here's the scary thing about Alabama. 
I think they're getting better in areas. And they're making a push to win the SEC again. And having said that, you know, I feel this team is still probably more vulnerable than many of the preceding Alabama teams. Jalen Milrow is getting more confident in Burton and Bond. Jason McClellan quietly becoming that dude. And the remaining schedule is going to be interesting to watch to see how it turns out. They're going to have LSU and Auburn on the schedule. Bama has a bye week before that big matchup with LSU. Tennessee's going to head to Kentucky, but the SEC's not decided yet. Missouri's still out there playing well. They have a chance. You know, they led Georgia for most of the game last year. They got to play again. Will Brock Bowers be available? I, I don't. It's it's going to be interesting to see who comes out of the SEC. That Alabama LSU game is going to be huge. Offensively speaking, I think the offense for uh, for LSU is a little more advanced. But again, I thought that the offense for Ole Miss was going to come in and do, and, and, and the defense for Alabama stepped up. So now you're getting not just Dallas Turner, but Braswell, those guys creating a lot of pressure. It's going to be a really entertaining game. And uh, we got one more week until we see that, that first weekend in November. My first, my number one game to keep an eye on, Penn State, number seven. They traveled to Ohio Stadium to take on the number three Buckeyes. The matchup of quarterbacks, you know, Kyle McCord had the much better day, 288 yards passing, one touchdown. Drew Aller had 191 yards, but on 18 of 42 passing. You know, And a lot of that was the Ohio State defense. But also, I don't think Penn State has those dudes that can go out and get it like Marvin Harrison Jr. The Ohio State defense just bottled up. It was 58 minutes of game time before Penn State got their first third down conversion. They were 0 for 15 to that final drive when they scored with 20 seconds left. Ended up 1 for 16 on the day on third down conversions. A total of 240 yards. Now, early in the game, a huge play. In a game like this, a lot of emotion. Penn State is on defense. They make something big happen. Another first down. Here's McCord. Under pressure. McCord lost it. Loose ball. Picked up. Curtis Jacobs down the sideline. Touchdown, Nittany Lions. 59 yards. Holding. Defense. Number four. It'll be a 10 yard penalty. Automatic first down. There it was. Number four for Ohio or for uh, Penn State holding on Marvin Harris. And I get it. You're holding Marvin Harrison Jr. I get it. But Curtis Jacobs makes a great play, gets the pressure up in the face of Kyle McCord, knocks the ball out of his hand, gets out, scoop scores, run. You, you got the lead. You've got Penn State crowd out of it. You, maybe you have Kyle McCord flustered. Instead, they get the ball back because of the holding. And you end up letting Ohio State score. And like I said, it's hard to cover Marvin Harrison. At the 19. McCord over the middle. Harrison Jr. again down the sideline. Maserati Mar. Touchdown. <laughs> oh, oh, Gus Johnson with another nickname. You know, he gave Holly, Hollywood. Who is this kid? Where'd he come from? Now he's calling Marvin Harrison Maserati Marv. So I, I, I don't know. But Marvin Harris, here's my thing. I'll tell you right now. If I had a vote today, Today, who's the Heisman winner? I'm giving it to Marvin Harrison Jr. because I think he makes that big of a difference to Ohio State. If they go on and win the Big Ten, say they make it to the college football playoffs, that's your Heisman Trophy winner. I, you know, I'm tired of it being just a quarterback award. 
I was glad Devonta won it from Alabama, but I think Marvin Harrison Jr. could win the Heisman. He would have my vote right now. He finished today 11 receptions, 162 yards, and that deciding touchdown. My hat's off to Jim Knowles. That Ohio State defense led by Tommy Eichenberg, again, one of the best names of a linebacker out there, eight tackles, but really limiting what Penn State could do. Now, Ryan Day had to give credit to his defense in this one. If the Ohio State defense could play like this all year and Michigan and the Buckeyes meet up, it's going to be interesting. But Ryan Day was asked how he felt about relying on his defense to win this game. Past years, maybe, I don't want to speak for you, but you might have no, gone right. for a touchdown at the end of the first half. You might have kicked a field goal to extend it to seven. What has changed about you with this defense being as good as it is right now? I just think in, in a game like this in particular, I, um, you have to do whatever you can to win the game. And if you feel like your defense can flat out win you a game, then you know you, you have to make sure that you're doing your part. You know, you can't be selfish in that moment as much as you know, you'd love to just, you know, push the pedal to the metal. The goal is to win the game. You know, sometimes we forget about, you know, our defense was in control of the game. And, you know, if we could get a couple drives together and punch it in and control the clock, you know, it certainly had a lot to do with the defense, but we did have the ball for thir- almost 35 minutes in the game. And you know what? And you've heard me on these on this show say before, I'm not a huge Ryan Day fan. But I agree 100%. If, if you can understand, if your defense is playing that well, you put the ball, in, you, you give it to them. You let them win the game. Don't put your defense in a bad spot taking risk unnecessarily with your offense. Now, granted, not many people have a defense that will play that well and have weapons like Emeka Abuka, Trayvon, Marvin Harris. I mean, it's, it's a good problem to have. But that defense looked really good. Michigan, the number one ranked defense right now. I still have to give the edge to Michigan in that matchup because I think the quarterback play, J.J. McCarthy, is a little bit better. Their defense, I think Michigan just a little bit better. Penn State will get Indiana next week while Ohio State will be at Camp Randolph. We'll jump around with the Wisconsin Badgers. So good times out there. Some other interesting things from the weekend, you know, like I talked about, it was a survive and advance weekend. Oklahoma, Texas had a struggle with Houston. Washington had a struggle with Arizona State. North Carolina lost to Virginia, you know, and like I said, and and this is the time when you think about moving on. Sure. You you want to talk about covering was the first time Oklahoma didn't cover all year. They still won straight up, but again, this team last year probably loses Texas. Now they're out. They're going to be without Quinn Ewers for the next two to four weeks. So you're going to see Malik Jefferson. Is this, is this what everybody want to see? You're you're not, you're not, God forbid he gets hurt. You got to bring in Arch Manning. It could be bad for Texas. Washington, Michael Penix Jr. didn't look that great. Terrible call there. Should have been a pass interference on Washington late in the game. They The cornerback the literally has a hold of the Arizona State receiver. Nothing called. Terrible officiating. Probably the worst thing. You heard me talk in one of the last episodes about Iowa. Brian Ferentz is going to get fired. They won the games. I was expecting them to win this game, but they lost to Minnesota and they lost in a way that only Iowa could lose in this game, right? Cooper DeGene, one of the top returnmen in the country. And not since Tim Dwight, when he was at Iowa, has there been another guy that really had this much juice. You know, I mean, just plays extremely well. But here we go, late in the fourth quarter, Minnesota kicking to Cooper DeGene. Similar to this against the Michigan State Spartans a couple of weeks ago. He iced the game on a punt return. Mark Crawford 
steps up to the five. High end over end punt. Dejean not going to touch it. Until now. Little spin down the sideline. Got some space. Here he comes. Corbin Dejean cuts it back. 25. He's got a chance. He scores. Now that gives him the lead. Been struggling all day. Gives him the lead. He's celebrating with his teammate on the sides. They got Kirk Ferentz cracking a smile. Then you hear the PA. Right here. After reviewing the play, the returner waved his left hand, which is an invalid fair catch signal. Therefore, by rule, the ball became dead upon recovery. The ball be placed at the 46-yard line. Clock operator, please reset the game clock to 1 minute 33 seconds. 133, please. Thank you. Now, again, I know there's a lot of people out there saying that's a BS call. It, you know, now I never got up into Division One football refereeing that, but a lot of people say, well, it says don't bring the hand above your head. Correct. But if you see that video, he's pointing with his right and then making a waving gesture with his left. And anything that, be, that can be construed as a signal is an illegal fair catch and makes it dead as soon as you pick it up. It sucks. I hate it for him. But that was the most Iowa way to lose the game. AP rankings come out. Look at the top 10 this week. Number 10, Penn State. They go down three notches after that loss to Ohio State. Bama up two spots to number nine. Oregon Ducks up a spot to number eight. The Longhorns, after their survive and advance in Houston, up one spot to number seven. Oklahoma at six. Washington at five. Florida State at four. Ohio State at three. Michigan two. Georgia one. If I was voting... My top five would be number five, Washington, number four, Georgia, number three, Ohio State, number two, Florida State, number one, Michigan. So that would be my top five. Looking back at my give them a six or six picks, I went freaking over. I got absolutely handled this weekend. I lost the under 54 in the USC-Utah game. I didn't think Utah was going to be able to score that many. And I thought their defense was good. But you know what? USC lost, so I'll chalk that up. Tennessee plus nine at Bama. I, I can't trust Joe Milton anymore this year. Duke plus 14 and a half at Florida State. If Riley Leonard's playing, I don't think they lose. But again, stuff happens. At Oklahoma plus 18, that didn't happen. And then I lost the NFL game I picked. And I guess I just have no clue with what's going on in the NFL. I'll talk about that in the next episode. Detroit plus three at Baltimore. And they got straight whomped. My upset special. Fell short once again. Now, they covered the spread. It was seven and a half. Colorado State had the lead with 44 seconds left to go. 23-22 on the road at UNLV. I'm excited. Hey, I'm going to pick my upset. It's going to win. UNLV got in range for their kicker, Jose Paisano, to see if he can make his sixth field goal of the day. Win the game from 28 yards. Penalty on the play, but the kick is good. There is a flag on the field in the defensive backfield. Might be on Colorado State. It is on Colorado State. Penalty declined. Yep, UNLV. They get the win. I lose again on my upset special pick, but man. 
It's still, it, it, you know, a lot of good football this weekend. Really enjoyed it. Now we're going to head out to the Major League Baseball side of the world. Stadium reviews from the stadiumreviews.com. You know, we're going to go to Houston and look at if you're going to be at game seven for the ALCS with a spot on the world in the World Series on the line, what are people going to be eating at Minute Maid Park? You know, I'm not an Astros fan. I got a ton of friends that are Rangers fans. So I'm pulling for the Rangers. And tonight, you know, Max Scherzer gets the ball against Christian Javier. Game seven, do or die, advance. Over in the National League, the Phillies look to put away the Diamondbacks. They lead the series 3-2. Aaron Nola on the mound tonight for the fight, and Phils will go up against Merrill Kelly. But as you know, I love to talk about what to eat when you go to a game. Yeah, we're going to head to Houston, H-Town. It's time now to see what's available at Minute Maid Park. Never been to a game there. Have a place called Battered Up. Corn dogs, funnel cakes, chicken tenders, the use. Extreme dog, classic footlong hot dogs, the 19th hole out in center field. Serving up traditional snacks and candy along with beer and wine out there in section 156. I like it. Papa John's, very mid. Shake Shack, hamburgers, cheeseburgers, fries, shakes, and more. I like it. Now for the new stuff. H-Town Grill, hot dogs, tenders, sausages, french fries, healthy food options. Says fans looking to eat healthy at a ballpark. Shouldn't go to a ballpark, but should head out to sections 109, 125, and 308. You'll find salads, hummus, fruit, and more. There's the salads again. I just, I can't do a salad at a game. Ugh. Downtown dogs get loaded up on hot dogs, nachos, soda, Frito pie. Uh, Frito pie corn dogs. Right there on the mezzanine level for the Astros fans. It's a fan favorite when you go to Minute Maid Park. Jackson Street Barbecue. Barbecue brisket, mac and cheese. That's all you need to say. I'm good. The Texas Legend Grill. Nolan Ryan, 100% beef burgers, fries, tenders, a lot more. The Carbach Bar, offering craft beer and a fantastic view of downtown Houston. Okay. HTX Mex, serving up Tex-Mex cuisine like tacos, burritos, queso, tortillas, nachos. I like it. I like it. You know, I really enjoy a good, you know, nacho. I talked about the nachos at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. But this is a place, and I know my wife will love this. I took her to one of these when we were in Oklahoma, and it's become one of her favorites. She loves the cheese sauce. The best cheese sauce everywhere. The Torchies Tacos. Oh, comfortable place out there. Get tacos, eat at the picnic table. I said you can have concessions. Great stuff. I love Torchies Tacos. If you're out in Norman... You know where it's at. Go get you some. Desserts there. Cookies and creamery. Cookies and creamery ice cream. Perfect summer treat for all the Astro fans to enjoy. Dippin' Dots. Ice cream of the future. And, of course, there's candy all over the field. So that's, if you're heading to Game 7, that's what you can look for out there. But thank you for tuning in to another delicious episode of Sports Bites, where we dished out the perfect blend of sports and food. And I hope you savor the flavor of our discussions and found them as satisfying as your team winning on the field. 
If you're hungry for more, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Stay connected with us on social media for the latest updates, mouthwatering recipes, and sports insights that hit the spot. Until next time, remember to keep your appetite for sports and food alive. May your game day snacks always be on point. Good day, everyone. And remember to always positively move forward.